Our New Testament lesson today is from the last chapter of Matthew. It's Matthew's account of the resurrection. You can find it in your pew Bible on page 32 if you would like to follow along. Let us continue to listen for the word of God. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, for there they will see me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A question for you this morning. How does Easter feel to you here in 2019? And how do you suppose Easter felt to those two women who went to the tomb, as described by Matthew, and who personally experienced that earth-shaking, life-transforming, history-making moment there beside the tomb. How does it feel? You see, I've always believed that Easter, like that other high holy day for Christians, Christmas, almost needs to be felt before it can be fully understood or embraced. Because Easter... The resurrection, like the incarnation, is more than just a historical fact, more than just a doctrinal belief. It is those things, but it is much more as well. And we could know all of the details of the Easter story, like the Christmas story, but still not be moved to feel it or to understand it. We could be well-versed in the theology of the resurrection, the ethical dimensions of the resurrection, And still not feel the continuing wonder and the fresh joy of resurrection morning. I asked the earlier crowd, I'll ask this one too. How many of you are like me and so far as you can remember, except for being ill perhaps, have never missed an Easter worship service? Raise your hand. Good many of us can say that. So we know well the story, don't we? We know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's accounts of it. But we have to know more than the details, right? Part of the problem for people like us is that we are so familiar with the story that it doesn't captivate us. Our minds, our hearts, and our emotions as perhaps it once did. The poet W.S. Hanley Jones writes this way, Too well, O Christ, we know thee. On our eyes there sits a film through which we see dimly. Of frozen faith and stagnant memory. 
Thou art among us in the homely guise of one whose nearness like a shadow lies between our minds and, and his own mystery. And our familiar knowledge is to thee a second tomb from which thou dost not rise. But God forbid that our familiarity with the Easter story should change the great good news into old stale news. God forbid that we lose the ability to feel as well as to affirm the resurrection of Jesus. That is why I'm asking how you feel about Easter this year. What speaks to me more than anything else in terms of getting to my feelings and my emotions are the arts, the music, the poetry, the visual arts. They speak to my heart and mind in ways that words alone cannot. So if you're anything like me, at the conclusion of this worship, you don't want to leave at the singing of the last hymn. You want to remain for the hallelujah chorus from the Messiah and even from, for Vidor's Toccata from the 5th century. Wonderful music that has the capacity to move us and to stir us. Now the truth of the matter is, people like us, we Presbyterians at least, I know we have people here who are not Presbyterian, but we Presbyterians are not too comfortable really with emotions and with feelings. Matter of fact, we are right suspicious of it sometimes. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about an emotional preacher or an emotional person, an emotional church, an emotional hymn, an emotional anything. We tend to think that the more emotional the message, the less substance it has, right? There's the old story most preachers know about the wife of the pastor who was reading over his sermon night notes on Saturday night, and she noticed in the margin at several places P-W-I-V, PWIV. She thought, what in the world is that? And so she asked him, she said, I don't understand this word you have written in the margins on several occasions. He said, what word is that? She said, PWIV, P-W-I-V. He said, oh, that's just a note to me. It stands for point weak, increase volume. (laughs) And in the Reformed family of faith in particular, we preachers aren't really trained to deal with the emotions of our people even our own emotions our training is in rhetoric or homiletics art of interpretation homiletics is the art of persuasion how do you persuade people to believe something or to do something well most rhetoric doesn't have anything to say about the emotional path to relating to people and yet it hasn't always been the case Aristotle centuries ago taught about rhetoric he said there are three primary ways to persuade people to do something other than force ethos logos and pathos ethos has to do with the character or the authority of the person speaking if you respect the person you're listening to and expect to hear something that's going to stir you or with which you'll agree you're going to pay attention and you may be persuaded. Logos, ah yes, that's the word we emphasize as Presbyterians. That's the word, logic, okay? We are trained to deal with reason and with intellect. And we've always insisted as Presbyterians that our clergy be well educated. If you want to be a pastor in the Presbyterian church, you have to have at least a college degree and a seminary degree. And we expect our people to be educated too. It was Presbyterians who started the Sunday school movement. 
Education for young and old. If you stop learning, you stop growing. How do you know that a tree is dead? It stops growing. How do you know if one's spiritual life is dead? They stop growing. They stop learning. Education is for all. And so we take that seriously. And we expect our ministers, our elders, our leaders in the church to be rational people who speak to people who are educated and intelligent. Yeah, that's our strong suit. That's been our emphasis through the years. But sometimes your strengths can become your liabilities. Aristotle also talked about pathos, emotion, passion, feeling. And this is where a lot of Presbyterians kind of jump off the bus. We're not so sure we want to deal with the emotional side of life or the emotional side of faith. I don't know why this is so, but probably because we can't control our emotions. Our emotions just hit us. But we all know that emotions move us. Emotions express how we feel about things. You can talk all you want about the plight of the hungry around the world, but you look at a photo of a mother holding her starving child, and that message goes through your head to your heart to your very soul, and you want to do something about it so we can be stirred by our emotions. And I know there are dangers associated with emotions. They can be manipulated and distorted. That's true of of a lot of things. So can words. But we're passionate about things we take seriously and believe in and support. I don't care where we're talking about our basketball team or our politics, our understanding of this or of that. If we're passionate about it, we take it seriously. And when we try to divorce the emotional from our faith, then our faith is the poorer for it. And our faith may be thoroughly sanitized, but it can also be infinitely boring And so for change, I'm asking you in the Easter sermon this year, 2019, how does Easter feel to you this morning? It's a a strange question. I I grant you that, especially from a Presbyterian preacher or from an interim pastor or a rental rev, as some refer to us. It wouldn't be strange at all if I asked you, what do you believe about Easter or how do you understand or interpret Easter What do you intend to do about Easter? Wouldn't be strange if we examined the resurrection philosophically or analytically or ethically or medically, scientifically. What happened 2,000 years ago? But for change, I'm just asking, how does it feel? As I was reflecting on this sermon, I heard on the radio what may have been the signature song of my generation in the 60s. It may have been the defining song of that era When it was recorded in June of 1965, there was no sheet music available. But you could hear that electric organ wailing in the background and stiletto sharp spirals on an old guitar and a young man 24 years old whining in that nasally distinctive voice asking in accusations to those who were listening, how does it feel? How does it feel? To be on your own with no direction home like a complete unknown, like a rolling stone. I knew there were some hippies here this morning. (laughs) Like a rolling stone. It seemed to me then and it seems to me still now that Dylan, Bob Dylan, was addressing a culture that was changing radically. The tables were being turned upside down. And those who had been among the haves were now finding themselves among the outcast and the despised. 
and the destitute. So Dylan asked, how does it feel now? But this morning I have another rolling stone in mind and not the one immortalized by Bob Dylan. I'm thinking of that stone that was rolled away from a garden tomb and how it felt to stand there and to hear the angel say, he is not here, he has risen. Now if you're not sure what Easter feels like or what that first Easter might have felt like, Scripture gives us a couple of clues in today's text. We're told that when the two Marys got to the tomb and heard the message of the angel, they left the tomb quickly with fear and with great joy. So how does Easter feel? Feels a lot like fright. It was terrifying. Matthew says they left quickly with fear. Mark says they were amazed. Luke says they were terrified. All the gospel writers agree that the resurrection was of all things frightening. How so? I mean, we don't experience dead men coming back to life, do we? How can you not be filled with wonder and amazement and, yes, fear? We don't know how to handle emotionally that kind of thing. It's no wonder then that the women left quickly, right? When I pulled up this morning, I parked by the columbarium. When I got out, if I'd saw one of the crypts open and an angel sitting on the brick wall saying, by the way, Danny, John wanted me to tell you he's going to, he'll meet you at Montreat this summer. <laughs> I don't know what I would have done other than I would have left quickly and I might have made a new entrance through the <laughs> side of the sanctuary here this morning. How do you handle emotionally? Something like the resurrection. That, that kind of thing doesn't happen, does it? I wish personally we could recapture this sense of holy fear and awe when it comes to the resurrection and when it comes to our faith. I wish that we could, too could peer for the first time into that empty tomb, just feel the goosebumps running up and down our spines, see those abandoned grave clothes, and hear an angel call us by name and scare the living daylights out of us. The resurrection ought to scare us. It ought to. If Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead by the power of, the, of God, then the whole world and everything in it has dramatically changed, turned upside down. If Jesus has risen from the dead and is present with us now through his word and spirit, well, that's just the most awesome and terrifying thing that a person could possibly know. And so if the resurrection of Jesus doesn't frighten us just a bit, frankly, I wonder if we've really felt or experienced it. Because sometimes all of this crucifixion, resurrection business just causes us to tremble doesn't it? A second thing that Easter felt like on that first Easter and still feels like today is unadulterated, overflowing joy. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are agreed that the resurrection of all things produced overwhelming joy in the hearts and minds of Jesus' disciples and friends. One of my favorite resurrection stories is the walk to Emmaus where the two disciples, after having 
met with Jesus on the road and at the table when they broke bread, ran back to Jerusalem and told his friends and his disciples gathered together what they had experienced. And we read, according to Luke, that the disciples disbelieved for joy. What does that mean? That means this, this is too good to be true. They disbelieved for joy. Lose news so great, so good that it overwhelms us. And why is that? Why does the resurrection evoke such joy? It does so because if Christ is risen from the dead, really risen, historically, factually, any way you want to put it, then the face of death has been forever changed. And Christ has emerged victorious from the tomb, and so too has human hope emerged from the graves in which so often it is encapsulated. Because if Christ is risen from the dead, that means that God is stronger than Satan, that love is stronger than hatred, that life is stronger than death, and that goodness is more powerful than evil. If Christ is risen from the grave, then the life of Jesus Christ has been vindicated and validated. And we can now see how life with purpose and power and beauty and compassion and integrity are not in vain because God has put his stamp of approval on the life and ministry of his son by the resurrect, his resurrection from the dead. If Christ has been raised from the dead, then many stones can be rolled away from countless tombs in which our better selves have for too long been buried. Talk about your joy. Friends, if Christ is risen from the grave, it is the most joyous news the world has ever heard. Some of you know that I returned home a few days ago, and yesterday morning we buried the ashes of our son who died recently in an accident. And it was just our family standing in the graveyard disposing of David's ashes. And what came to my mind was that this was Black Saturday, Holy Saturday it's sometimes called, the darkest of all days in human history, right? Jesus, the one they had loved, trusted, hoped for, had been crucified. Evil had done its worst to the best thing God had ever sent to the earth. It was a day of darkness and depravity and despair and death. But it wasn't the last word, was it? Something came after Black Saturday, and that was Easter morning. And the tables were turned upside down. Talk about your joy. If Christ is raised, then so too are we. And there's something to hope for and to believe in. So how does Easter 2019 feel to you? I hope it feels a little bit like fear. I hope it feels a lot like joy. I wish I had the words... To adequately explain the resurrection, I don't. All human words about that miracle are tentative and inadequate. But we can still feel what we can't explain. How can you explain, how can you articulate the love you feel for your spouse or for your child or for your Lord? Are there words? We can write music about it. We can compose poems We can do all kinds of things, but we only get a part of it. 
I hope that Easter 2019 will contain some fear and a lot of joy. And I hope that Easter will give you hope for your life, for your future, for your family. Because if Christ is risen, as we affirm this morning, everything has changed. There's an anonymous poem entitled Hope. It starts out like this. He died, and with him perished all that men hold dear. Hope lay beside him in the sepulcher. Love grew coarse cold, and all things beautiful died when he died. But the poem ends this way. He rose, and with him hope arose, and life and light. Men said, not Christ, but death died yesternight. And joy and truth and all things virtuous rose when he rose. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.